hello, hello, New Haven, and happy Friday. We're back with Arts Respond on WNHH Community Radio. Um, Arts Respond is a joint project between WNHH and the Arts Council of Greater New Haven. I'm Lucy Gelman, your host, and I'm really excited today to be joined by Mei Yi. She is the rabbi in, in training rabbinical student. Is that, do you have one that you prefer? Rabbi in training is fine, yeah. Um, and um, and I, I would say absolutely spiritual guide and leader with Mending Minion, a Havara that is working to decouple Judaism from Zionism in New Haven. In the interest of full disclosure, I feel like I have to say this as someone who's also a reporter, I am a very happy member of Mending Minion. Um, but also as someone who is a reporter, I wanted to get the word out about this beautiful community that has been growing in New Haven for the past four years. And May, you've been an instrumental part of that, um, increasingly so, and now you live in New Haven. So um, we're happy to have you here. Um, so I do wanna go into the Wayback Machine and talk a little bit about your own history and your own relationship with Judaism. But before we do that, I'm wondering if we can tell folks, um, because we have a, you know, a very general listenership, what a Havara is, because some people might be listening and say, I don't, I don't recognize that terminology. Yeah. So I would say that a Havara is like a small group community of Jews. So someone might be familiar with the concept of a synagogue, right? Which has a building and a pretty like set structure. Um, and with a Havara and with our Havara in, in particular, we're a bit more home-based, we're a bit more um, diasporic. We move from people's homes to people's backyards um, to different community spaces around town. Um, and I would say that we're perhaps a bit smaller um, than a synagogue that may come to mind for you. Um, yeah. Although it's, I mean, it's interesting because I think in the, in the same way that some um, church communities that some listeners may recognize are shrinking. Some synagogues, I've, I've been surprised by how low attendance can be on uh, just a Friday night or a Saturday morning for a Shabbat service, as opposed to, um, I call them like the big ones, the, the high holidays, so uh, which usually pack the house. But um, yeah, but, but I've noticed that as well. And um, you know, and, and you said home base, but the other word you said is diasporic. And I think one thing that Mending Minion has tried to do, and I would say has done pretty successfully, is be a home base for Jews who maybe don't feel um, safe or welcome in other synagogues and I'm wondering and other congregations. And I'm wondering if if you can talk a little bit about that because one thing that I know attracted me to Mending Minion is someone who is um, who, who is white and heterosexual and cisgender, but also not um, totally able-bodied was that it was an extremely welcoming group of Jews who said, um, you, can, you can sort of come as you are. And so if you don't fit into this mainstream idea of what Judaism is and uh, what kind of like body or skin color someone has to have to practice Judaism, you're welcome here. Yeah, I sometimes I say that Mending Minion serves Jews on the margins, um, but I say that in our current context. I think many of us exist 
on the Jewish margins now and today. And it's my hope that what are the margins today become the center um, soon, God willing. Um, but yes, I, I would say that, that Mending Minion is largely comprised of folks with marginalized identities. Um, we have queer people and trans and non-binary people, folks with disabilities, we have elders and children, we have people of color. Um, and I'm sure, we'll, I'm sure we'll get into this, but I think it's because we have clear values that make us a safe community for those people and that draw those people to us. Um, I also think that there's no community like ours um, that, I've, that I've learned about so far, we'll say, um, in, the, in the greater New Haven area. And so I think it's so important for people to be able to feel seen in their Jewish practice. Um, just last weekend, we had a little meet and greet um, with me in, in someone's backyard and someone was speaking about the offerings and began to speak about conversion and began telling their story about how they didn't grow up Jewish enough and this and that. And before I could even respond to them to say that sure, conversion is an option within our community, I had to say, but I see you as Jewish. And to be clear, for all of us, everyone here is, is completely Jewish, right? You all are very Jewish in my eyes. And, and we can get into my story too, um, in that for, for many folks would not see me completely as completely Jewish or, or Jewish enough. Um, and so at, at Mending Minion, it is my deep belief that every person, however they come, however they show up, is completely Jewish enough whether that means they have a Jewish parent and which parent is Jewish, whether they've just been practicing, whether they're interested, however you come, however you show up. Um, I like to say that you're welcome with all parts of you. And I hope that um, you're not only welcome, but you're safe uh, in this community. Yeah. Um, so I, I do want to get into Mending Minion's mission, too many M's. Uh, for a Friday, which you which you mentioned, but I do want to go into the way back machine and talk about your own relationship with Judaism, which has evolved in a, a very beautiful way, but also a way that you've been open about. Um, you know, people have pushed back against you, um, and I I think there's some violence there, right? Um, so I'm wondering if if you can talk about that. Yeah. So I grew up in a secular home in a small town in Maine and came to my Jewish roots after high school. Um, at the time I was taking a gap year and I was kind of asking myself these big life questions that I think we ask ourselves when we're fresh out of high school and I'm asking myself, who am I? And I say, well, I'm half Chinese, I'm Asian American. That's how I've always identified since I was a little girl. And for the first time I said, well, if I'm half Chinese, if I'm half Asian American, what's the other half? And I came to saying that the other half was Jewish. My father's parents um, are Holocaust survivors. My grandfather was incarcerated at the concentration camp at Dachau. Um, and so I was like, oh, I'm half Jewish. Well, what should I do about that? Like, how am I going to embrace this identity? What I find very lucky for myself is that I came to Judaism as an adult, which means to me that I was able to come to Judaism from both a political and a spiritual perspective at the same time. 
Um, and and so from from pretty early on, um, my my politics were that of not an anti-Zionism. Um, and as we've said, I'm I'm Chinese American. So throughout this this year after high school and and throughout undergrad. I tried really hard to get involved in Jewish life. I tried going to Hillel, I tried going to Chabad. I connected with rabbis, you know, at, at home in Maine. And I asked them to, to connect me to rabbis in Michigan where I was going to school. And I would say like, hey, can you just find me a family who would be willing to maybe host me for a Shabbat dinner? Um, and the answer was no, time and time again. No one was willing to host me for a meal. When I tried to go to a service, sometimes I would be told, no, you just cannot enter um, these doors. Um, even once upon a time, I was with my best friend who is brunette and Christian, and she was welcome to enter. But I, as someone with Jewish heritage, was not. And, and this was just my experience over and over again. And I felt that I kept like knocking on these doors and I'm like, let me in, let me in. Like, I wanna know what Judaism is about. And the answer was always no. Um, and so, you know, fast forward or not, when I start rabbinical school, I hadn't done a Shabbat. The only Shabbat service that I had done was sitting on my bed in my dorm room in undergrad live streaming a Shabbat service from Central Synagogue in New York City and having no idea what was going on, right? I had never physically been in person to a synagogue. I had never been a part of a minion, right? A group of 10 Jews. Um, I had never experienced a Shabbat meal. I experienced my first Rosh Hashanah and my first Yom Kippur from the Bima, from the pulpit. I experienced my first Passover Seder as a rabbinical student. Um, so all of these experiences um, that are pretty central to being a Jew, I was only able to experience when I entered the doors of rabbinical school. And I mean, I, I also want to ask you how much of that, and, and it sounds like a great deal, has to do with this conflation that is incorrect in this country and has everything to do with white supremacy of Judaism, right, or the right kind of Judaism with whiteness, because I think that European Ashkenazi Jews in the mid to second half of the 20th century were sort of the, the last major group to graduate. And I use that in, in uh, sort of air quotes because I don't believe in model minority myths, and I think they're extremely harmful, but to graduate from model minority status into whiteness. And, and for you, it sounds like this is a lot of, of what you were experiencing, that, that oh, if you're not um, white, brunette, you know, then you're not the right kind of, the right kind of Jew. I'm, I'm not saying, I think any kind of Jew is the right kind of Jew. Yeah, totally. Um, I, think, I think within American Jewish culture, there's a lot of Ashkenazi normativity. Um, so Ashkenazi normativity and whiteness. So I think a lot of the times when I was showing up to spaces, looking Asian, people would just be like, you don't belong here. Why are you trying to tell me that you're Jewish when clearly you're not? Um, and I think there's work being done, you know, in the larger Jewish community to become more inclusive and become more accepting of, of interracial families and of, and of Jews of color at large, however, 
um, whatever their Jewish background is. Um, but yeah, definitely a lot of a lot of white supremacy, a lot of Ashka normativity defining, you know, what a Jew looks like and what a Jew believes in how a Jew should practice and all these all these ways a Jew should in air quotes be. So if you're if you're just joining us on WNHHLP 103.5 FM New Haven, uh, this is Arts Respond with Lucy Gelman. I'm very excited that today my guest is May Yi, a rabbinical student, and uh, I, I would absolutely say spiritual leader. I, I feel good about that. If you feel good about that, May, um, with Mending Minion, a Havara, a growing Havara in New Haven, working to decouple Zionism from Judaism. So May, you actually, one, one of the things you mentioned was ashkenormativity, um, which is a term that despite its violence, I really appreciate just because it, it is like exactly what it says. Right. Um, and, and I think that that's a, a really good segue into what decoupling Judaism from Zionism means. And in some ways we should probably have, you know, four to seven hours for for this and maybe like a book club break in between but but we don't have that and and one of the things i was thinking about and i talked to you about uh, a little bit last week when we sat down and and chatted about judaism was um the fact that for me it has become increasingly clear that um like there was no unifying vision at the beginning of this zionist project anyway and if you watch a, a film like Shoah, which is more than nine hours, so I don't recommend it in like maybe one sitting, you see that. You see that everyone um, sort of had a, a different thing in mind. Um, but, but I have also found, and in my own sort of Jewish and spiritual learning or unlearning, um, that there is real hesitancy to talk about the displacement of people from their land um, and, and the like replicated patterns of oppression that were perhaps put on, uh, Jews, especially European Jews, uh, who then went on to, to this, this thing that is now recognized as Israel that was extremely inarticulate, but I think it's a starting place for us. Yeah. Um, Zionism, Judaism, decoupling um, Zionism from Judaism. You know, I guess the first thing that I want to say is that Judaism and Zionism have not always been coupled. Um, and, and so I think that's how we get to Mending Minion. Um, I think it's, it's with the rise of Zionism and especially of political Zionism, with the creation of the state of Israel, where we, where we really get this conflation of a spiritual practice and of a political movement. Um, and so I, and I think that's where, where Mending Minion shows up to say, hey, these th two things have not always been connected and we want to figure out what is, what is Judaism? What's at the root of this? What is the Jewish practice when we when we pull away all of the Zionism that that really has taken over in many ways, right? Like, why when I go to you know a, a more traditional synagogue, 
is there an Israeli flag and most often an American flag on the bima, on the pulpit? I don't want to see flags. I don't want there to be nationalism in a space where I pray, in a space where I'm supposed to be spiritual. Um, you know, why if I go to, to such a shul, to such a synagogue, am I being invited or asked to stand in the middle of the service for the prayer for the state of Israel. Again, no nationalism in my spiritual space, please. Um. Yeah, which which is very like, I, and I feel like that's not unique to to these spaces. Um, you know, it this was a secular space, not a spiritual space. Um, but last night I was attending a gala for Puerto Ricans United, and there was a lot of like really rah rah. America, which is great, but it was like so much. Um, and, and that's a lot. And then when you walk into a spiritual place, I, I think that ritual, that ritual, you're, you're absolutely right. So predates Zionism because Zionism is a relatively recent intervention. Um, and, and so what does that look like? You know, that practice of decoupling, what does that look like when you are um, when you're practicing with this havara, I will say a lot of it is and has been lay-led. Um, and may one thing I love about you is you don't say, okay, I'm going to stand up here and be the arbiter of, you know, taste and uh, religion and, and what we do in this space. I'm going to ask people what prayers they want to say, and that might change depending on, um, you know, on what Shabbat it is or where we're practicing. I'm going to ask people if they feel um, like a, a certain affinity to a certain prayer and, and if they want to practice it. I'm not going to correct people if they mess up their Hebrew, which I will say I, I really appreciate because I always muck up something inevitably. Um, so, so what does that look like in practice for you? Yeah, it's a huge project. Um, and I think I'm evolving in my understanding and in my practice of what that looks like. And I hope to continue in that evolvement and, ex and in exploring with Mending Minion what that looks like for our community. Um, so, so part of it is that, as I said, you know, on a meta level, stripping away the Zionism to find the core of our practice. A lot of the time, I think that means studying ritual, studying liturgy, studying traditional Jewish texts in the context in which they were originally written. Years and years predating the, the founding of the state of Israel. Um, what we find is that Israel and the language of Zion, of Zion is all over that. And so we start to wrestle with that because what does it mean for those words to be there? Like, what is my experience when I read the word Yisrael, Israel, or Tzion, Zion in my liturgy? Unfortunately, I'm unable to, to separate those words from what in the rest of my life I know them as. When I see the word Israel, I unfortunately am thinking of a political nation state. Um, and so we've been on this journey as a community. I think we really started this last year around the high holidays in thinking about 
ways that we might transform our liturgy. Um, and at the time I came up with three ideas that I still play with, but I'm excited for, for this to evolve. So one of the ways is, is to just remove language and remove liturgy and remove, yeah, language that is problematic. So sometimes this is the word Israel, but sometimes it's like homophobic language in our liturgy and other things that are really problematic. So sometimes to me, the answer is to remove it. Sometimes the answer is to replace it. So let's take, for example, the Shema, right? One of the central prayers of the Jewish practice, which begins Shema Yisrael, listen Israel. Well, what is that saying? What does Israel mean in that context? Israel means my people. Shema Yisrael, listen my people. So in my own personal practice, when I say the Shema, I say Shema Ami, listen my people. And the, con the context, what I'm saying is the same, but I'm no longer using what I find to be a triggering word, um, which, which is Yisrael. Um, other ways I, that I think we, we do this work is by rewriting liturgy. When something is just too hard, too complicated, um, too problematic, really, um, to wrestle with, I find myself rewriting. I find myself studying the thing to understand and try to give honor um, to its original context and meaning and then rewriting it. And I often find that when I rewrite things, my community members feel seen because I can take the messages and lift up the identities in my community and the experiences, lived experiences um, in my community. And I would say that, that you know, the final way I came up with last year um, to do this wrestling is to wrestle in live time. And we did that with one of our Torah readings during the high holidays last year. And we named all the ways in which it was problematic when we said as a community, we're going to do this, right? So we're going to experience all of the ways um, because the way that we wrestle, the way that we decouple Judaism from Zionism doesn't always mean running away. Um, and yeah, as I said, it's evolving and I, and I think another space that we're really exploring and beginning to dive into this year is what is the intersection of the political and the spiritual, right? So this work of decoupling Judaism from Zionism, is that a political project? Is that a spiritual project? And how do we make sure that we're not conflating the two? How do we make sure that we don't feel like we're showing up to a protest every week because we're so engaged in this work? Um, and so these are, these are live questions for us, especially in this moment. Well, I, I also want to ask about the education that has sort of laid this foundation for you, especially after such an alienating um, experience with or, or introduction to your own Judaism. So I know that, um, for instance, Rabbi Brent Rosen has been an extremely important figure in your life. And, and I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about that work, but also your work as a student, because I think a lot of people... Uh, in, in the same way that they may be listening to this and they think there's one, one way to be an American Jew, they may think that uh, rabbinical school means one thing. And actually, it means a whole multiplicity of things in this country. Yeah, um, so definitely big shout out to Rabbi Brant Rosen. 
Um, and especially for allowing me to be the intern at his synagogue at Sedek Chicago during my second year of rabbinical school. Rabbi Brant Rosen is the founder of the first explicitly anti-Zionist synagogue in the country. Um, but what I really admire about him and what I've learned from him is how to rewrite liturgy. I mean, Brand has published books of rewritten liturgy um, and we borrow so much from there, from Sedek Chicago's Mahzor High Holiday Prayer Book um, in our services. So I'm, so I'm so glad to have been connected to him kind of from the beginning of my journey. Um, in terms of things that I've learned as a rabbinical student, um, I will say that I'm starting my sixth and final year at the Reconstructionist Rabbinical College and completing that remotely from New Haven, Connecticut, uh, so that I can be working with Mending Minion. Um, you know, and I would say what rabbinical school has done is that it has given me the tools to study the texts in their original forms. Um, and, I, and I would say that I have had professors and many classmates, you know, who have sat with me and encouraged me to, to go further, you know, to, to study these things in the original context and then to be like, okay, and, and how does this make sense now? And what relevance does this have today? What relevance does this have for me as an Asian American Jew? What relevance does this have for my communities and, and the people that I'm serving? Um, and, and I also wanna say you've been in New Haven for eight weeks, nine weeks at this point. I'm, you had a relationship yeah, just with the city yeah. beforehand, um, including an epic walk that I think covered half of the city that like different members of, of Mending Minion have talked about at, at multiple times. So, so I know that you had a relationship with New Haven before you moved here. Um, you know, but Philly is such a cool, not throwing New Haven under the bus. It is my home. It will remain my home. It's, it's the city I love, but Philly is such a cool city. And I think there are a lot of really rad Jews there. How, you know, how is this transition for you? It's hard. Um, I miss Philly. There's a lot of really, really bad people in Philly. You know, and at first I thought, oh, it's just because I go to RRC that like my classmates are trans and queer and disabled and I'm not the only person of color at school. And you know, a majority of my professors are femme and queer and like how cool. But that was also my experience in Philly, in Philly's Jewish life at large, right? When I walked down the streets to go to shul when I was living there, one of my rabbis was a trans man. The other rabbi was a Argentinian Jew um, who was like a queer femme. Like how cool. Um, and part of my work in, in moving to New Haven has been connecting to the, to the Jewish community in New Haven and around us. Um, and I'll say that it's a very different landscape than um, what I came from in Philly. And it, it makes it clear to me why Mending Minion. And it makes me really honored to be able to work with this community and to build with this community. Um, and I think the more that folks know about us, they flock to us. Um, and it's just really cool to have us on the map uh, and like on the Eastern seaboard and we're close to a lot of places. Like I know people from Northampton, Massachusetts who come and join us. 
Um, and I think we will be seeing more, more visitors as, as time goes on. So um, the transition has not always been easy, um, but I am, I'm just so thrilled about Mending Minion. That's definitely my favorite part of New Haven um, so far. Um, and just, I'm looking forward to getting to know this, this small city and all that means. And I, I will ask, so, um, so, you know, you, you said, and I would, I would agree with this as someone who is often in um, the organizing world or, or writing about the organizing world, that it's maybe important to you not to roll up to a Shabbat service and have it feel like a protest. But in your time in the city, you have been doing some really thoughtful work around organizing including uh, the fact that you spoke at a rally the day, uh, spoke and sang, I will say, at a rally on the, on the day that Roe was overturned and sort of held space for people. And so for you, uh, I'm, I'm wondering if you can talk to us a little bit about the ways that your organizing work also informs your Judaism and, and is really um, foundational to your spiritual practice and or vice versa. Yeah, I mean, I think my life as an activist and as an organizer and as a rabbi and maybe even also as a, as a musician um, are, are really intertwined with each, with each other. Um, and, and my relationship is evolving, you know? Like when I was living in Philly, I was like a more hardcore activist than maybe I've been in my, in my few weeks here um, in New Haven where I feel like I'm, I'm really stepping into the role of a rabbi. Um, in New Haven, uh, sorry, in Philly, I was a student, you know, and I, I was rebellious and I went into the streets and I participated in direct actions. And when I was invited to speak at that rally, when Roe was overturned, I really spent a lot of the time that day thinking, okay, what is it that people need to hear from a rabbi? What is it that I can say that someone else isn't going to be saying, right? Because you, you get a lot of the same facts regurgitated from different speakers. Um, and, and so now I feel like I'm at a life where I'm really trying to bring those worlds together, right? And, and maybe to, to be more spiritual than I have in the past. And so at that rally, that meant for me being like, oh, I think we need a time for grief. I think we need a time to pause to take a breath together. How many of us that day had been, our bodies had been clenched. How many of us had been holding our breath? Um, so I felt that it was my place to, to invite breath, to say to people, to say to people that maybe other speakers didn't name, people with uteruses, including trans men and non-binary folks said, hey, I see you. And I see you in your grief, I see you in your rage and in your despair and in your result and in whatever it may be. Um, so I'm learning, I'm learning what it means um, to inhabit all of these roles. Um, and I'm sure that you still will see me at a direct action um, in, in New Haven. I don't think those, those days are done for me, um, but I am beginning to think more critically about what it means to show up as a rabbi um, and I'm learning what that means. And Mending Minion is teaching me what that means. Um, I don't know if we've said this, but Mending Minion has largely, has only been lay-led, you know, in its history. And by me joining, I don't want that to change. And from the very beginning, we've named that bringing on a rabbi has an inherent power dynamic. 
But we've named that from the start and we will continue naming that and we will continue talking about that. Um, and so I think as we continue to talk about that and figure out what that means for our community, and as I figure out what my role is, um, I'm, I'm noticing that I can also challenge my own notions of power and what a rabbi means, because I think that's also a little different in our community. Um, and so I think that I can actually feel a little more braver and safer in the streets um, and that I'll be protected and cheered on um, by my congregants in a way that some other rabbis may not be. So I, I want to, um, I, I do want to save time to talk about um, how folks can get involved with Mending Minion if people are listening and, and they want to. But I do want to go back to uh, the Z word, Zionism, for, for a moment and say, you know, if, if someone is listening, and, and I know this uh, from y'all's emails that I have received in my inbox as editor of the arts paper, I know that there are probably people listening who are not comfortable with this conversation, who may be offended or upset by this conversation. And, and I wanna recognize that, you know, for some folks coming to this, this may be a really hard um, and unpleasant conversation that they're hearing. Um, but, you know, for, for people listening to this May who say, I'm ready to interrogate my own set of beliefs, because I know that that for me, initially, I had to, I had to do that. I was, um, a kid who was raised in Hebrew school with a very um, sort of one one viewpoint. And we, in Hebrew school, we made hummus and we made, um, you know, falafel. And we were told that those were Israeli foods made by only Israeli people. And, um, and, and so I had to do a lot of unlearning and I did that. I would say probably like after college um, and, and, so, and I was someone who could walk into a Hillel and be welcome just as, as I was. Um, so if people are hearing this and, and saying, okay, maybe I'm, maybe I'm not ready to think about that. And, and that's okay. You can step away from this conversation. Um, but maybe I am ready to think about my own system of beliefs and to, to push it a little bit. And maybe I am interested in getting involved. What would your advice be for them? Because this is, this is so big. <laughs> And I think there's so much unlearning that has to happen. Yeah, well, first, I want to say, if you're listening to this conversation and you're uncomfortable with it, thank you so much for listening. And thank you so much for staying um, and, and for, you know, engaging in the conversation in this way. Um, and I just want to say that I know it's hard. And that you're so welcome, you know, and you're not alone on this journey in unlearning Zionism. There are so, so many people who have been indoctrinated in their you know, early days in Hebrew school, in synagogue. Um, and there are so many people who have had to do that work, that work of unlearning. It's not easy. You know, I can't speak from personal experience, but I've talked to a lot of people and it's not easy. Um, so what I want to say to you is that you're not alone in this work uh, and that, you know, I'm happy to help connect you to other people who've been on this journey to connect you to resources um, where, where you can listen and study and engage with people um, who are like you, um, who've, been on, who've been doing this work. Um, and I want to say to you that you're welcome at Mending Minion. Yes, we are, we are a community that names our values 
our values being anti-non-Zionist and diasporist. Um, but I want you to know that you are welcome. You know, by stating our values, we're not saying that you're not welcome. We're just saying this is what we believe in. And if you're open, you know, to being here, to engaging with us, you're so welcome. Um, so thank you for listening. Thank you for engaging, for thinking. Um, and and I, I want to say that as someone who has been part of this group, I appreciate some of the beautiful and really respectful arguments. I, w- I will say I've, I've listened to a couple things where people are definitely arguing, but they're doing it in the most um, like kind and gentle way and saying, well, I don't know if I really agree with that. Or um, we, we have a couple people in Mending Minion who I don't want to say synagogue hoppers because that sounds... Um, not respectful, <laughs> um, but but who who belong to different congregations, which I think is fairly common um, for for folks, at least in New Haven. I know even whole families who are split between maybe three different congregations because that um, there are three different kinds of spirituality that that they hope to practice. Um, but but I will say yes, thank you so much for staying. If if you're not comfortable with this, I, I echo May. I also want to ask May about this conflation, which you've sort of um, hinted at or or named without saying the word, but of anti-Zionism and anti-Semitism that I have really noticed, especially in the last, I, I would say I've been very aware of it acutely in the last five years because anti-Semitism is something that is on the rise in the US. And I think that's very scary. But anti-Zionism isn't specifically the same thing, right? Um, and and so I'm wondering for you, you know, how to how to push back against that if someone's also listening and and thinking, oh, um, I heard something and I was told that it was anti-Semitic, but it, it wasn't actually anti-Semitic. It, it was anti-Zionist. Yeah, I think it's really important for us to to name as you are that anti-Zionism and anti-Semitism are two very different things. Um, And that I am a Jew and I am anti-Zionist. I'm told otherwise all the time, Um, you know, but but just as, as if you were critical of the United States, does that make you, I don't know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna flesh out this, this analogy, but you know, just being critical of something doesn't make you whatever whatever the equivalent of um, you know of anti-Semitic is. Um, and I and I will I will acknowledge that there is anti-Semitism on the left and on the right. You know, and I think we at Mending Minion and in the organizing that that I do outside, we do try to um, to call out when we see anti-Semitism. So I, so I don't wanna say that that doesn't exist, but to say that all anti-Zionists and that you know, the ideology of anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism or is anti-Semitic is just way too broad strokes of a statement. Um, and it's just, it's not true. Yeah, and, and I will say I'm coming at this as a, 
as a writer who, so we have, um, and, and we'll talk about this because it leads into high holidays, but we are so lucky that right next to New Haven in Woodbridge, Connecticut, we have the Palestine Museum and it is an incredible collection of Palestinian art, um, including by, by artists really across the Palestinian diaspora. Um, so first of all, if you haven't checked out that museum as an arts nerd, like go, please, please, please go there. Um, they were physically closed for a little while because of the pandemic, but they've been reopened for quite some time. Um, but, but I will say as a writer who has covered their work, um, inevitably I hear from someone who says, one, uh, this museum should be like closed down um, or, or two, how dare you be so anti-Semitic? And um, it's hard for me. It's, it's, it's hard for me when I hear from those people because I want to say this museum not only has a right to exist, but the stories that artists are telling often through their work are extremely powerful. Um, and to, to say that this museum is just one big anti-Semitic statement is to silence them in a, in a way that I find like hurtful and and, and violent. Um, so yes, um, and, and so I, that does lead into High Holidays, which I think Mending Minion very much invites people who might be, um, I don't know, Mending Minion curious to participate in. Yeah, um, High Holidays are just around the corner in about two months. Uh, we will be observing Rosh Hashanah um, and we will be observing both Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur inside the walls of the Palestine Museum US, um, which is very exciting. We're very grateful to Faisal and to the Palestine Museum for having us in that space. And, you know, I just want to say that I think that, that speaks to the work we're doing, you know, that we're seeing each other, we're collaborating. We're not doing this work in a silo. We're doing this work in collaboration with Palestinians locally, with the Palestine Museum here and beyond, um, and, and thinking critically about how to be in solidarity with Palestinians um, as we do this work. It's very exciting to be using that space and it's very complicated, you know, and I don't wanna shy away from that. So just this past Wednesday, we began a series of community conversations in which we're talking about what does it mean to be an anti-Zionist synagogue? How do we make sure that we're really in accountability and in solidarity with Palestinians? Not just in what we say, but in our actions. You know, um, and, and the, the third question that I think we're, we're starting to wrestle with is, you know, really figuring out that intersection of the political and the spiritual. But so something that I'm thinking about is on Rosh Hashanah, you blow the shofar, you blow the ram's horn. And that's a sound that's used to evict Palestinians from their homes. So am I, are we going to be blowing a shofar in the walls of the Palestinian museum where Palestinians may be around or Palestinians may hear that sound that may be triggering? Um, so, so there are questions like these that are very live for us. And I think this takes us back to when I was talking about, you know, how do we uncouple Judaism from Zionism? So part of the studying that I'm doing recently um, is to be like, okay, what does the shofar represent? What is that sound supposed to do to us? And is there another sound 
Is there another way um, that, that we can have the experience that the shofar is supposed to invoke in us without using an instrument that it might be triggering to Palestinians? And I think this is, this is the playground for me. Like this is, this is the space um, where I really have fun. Um, and it's so cool um, to be, <clears throat> excuse me, to be able to do that um, in the space and with the support and with the collaboration of the Palestine Museum. Yeah, I um, I love that you describe it as a playground. I I I just really love that. And so I I mean I also wonder within this question of um, you know how political do we want to be? I think Mending Minion it's safe to say has a like a, a social justice mission or is tied to a social justice mission. And I'm curious also, you know, knowing you've only been here for two months, what that also means within the context of, of New Haven um, and not only hyperlocal organizing, but some of the issues plaguing New Haven because New Haven is an incredible city, but it is also a city that is very much hurting. And I would say there are a lot of pain points that you can sort of put on historically redlined neighborhoods, especially in this city. Yeah, I think as a social justice organ, I think as an anti-Zionist um, group in particular, that means that we are that we are attuned to and involved in the other issues that, as you say, plague our city. Um, and many of our of our members, of our congregants, of our community members, um, are activists and our leaders um, in this community. Um, on many, many issues. Um, and so I think I think that intersection is just really alive. You know, as I said before, I think when we state our values, we create safety. Um, and when we state that we're anti-Zionist, we're stating that we're an anti-racist community too. Um, and, and we explicitly say that, but I think it's also inherently there. And, you know, I've been trying to get involved um, with the work in supporting Randy Cox, um, in, in New Haven and I was at the town hall um, a few weeks ago. Um, and yeah, I feel really excited to tap in locally. I'm getting involved with um, tenants organizing with a local DSA chapter. Um, and I'm really trying to connect with other community groups um, and organizers in the city um, and, to, and for Mending Minion to also be a part of that because these issues are totally intersected. Yeah, yeah. I. I would absolutely agree with all of that. And just shout out DSA New Haven. Like they are making, I can't use um, certain four letter words because we're still monitored by the FCC, but they are making stuff happen in New Haven. Um, and as someone who cares deeply about housing and believes that everybody, no matter their economic status, um, deserves safe and affordable housing, it's, it's really exciting to see that work and that organizing happen in New Haven. So may the last question, I usually ask folks is, you know, what are you, we're in now the third year of the pandemic, COVID's still with us, even though um, I've observed that a lot of people don't wanna believe that. So what are you doing to also care for yourself, you know, as, as you care for so many others around you? Yeah, it's a good question. It's something I think about, it's something I may be not the best at. Um, but, you know, I also think that it takes time to figure out when you're new to a place, right? I have to figure out who my people are, what my resources are, 
Um, for now, you can probably see me going for lots of walks around the city um, that I take to recharge um, and staying connected to community um, locally and beyond um, and, and staying connected to comrades and hearing what's going on in their lives. Um, yeah. Um, well, Mayi, I want to thank you so much. You've just been so wonderful. If folks are just tuning in, you've missed a great discussion, but luckily we're on like all of the social platforms. So you can just rewind it and listen and do that thing that people do in the 21st century on computers. Um, but we've been talking about Mending Minion, a growing, and I, I would just say really beautiful Habra that is working to decouple Judaism from Zionism. If you're interested in finding out more about Mending Minion, you can do that pretty easily. On Facebook, it's Mending Minion. And uh, I don't think there are multiple Mending Minions, but it's just at Mending Minion and you'll get a cute little grayscale image of a needle and thread. Um, and I believe it's just at Mending Minion also on Instagram. Um, so if you're interested in the work that the, the group is doing, please like just check it out, especially in time for the high holidays. I cannot believe May that they are coming up in two months. I'm kind of in denial about that because I feel like we were just there. Um, yeah, but uh, but it's a great time. You know, as we as we enter the Days of Atonement, it is maybe a great time to think about the practice of decoupling Judaism from Zionism. And I'm grateful to have been here in conversation with you and to continue the conversation offline. Thank you so much, Lucy. And just to plug our website too, mendingminion.com, where you can find you. our fundraiser. <laughs> yes, absolutely. There is an ongoing fundraiser. So if you come to a service and you're like, wow, this work really resonates with me. And also I have been meaning to kick a few dollars to a cool organization. Boom, there you go. Awesome. May, thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you.